0: So we had a quite extensive discussion about your book, Proletarian Gamble," and uh, sort of building onto the Uno's analysis, Uno's theory of crisis. But today, I want us to sort of work backwards from the Proletarian Gamble and back to Uno later. Yeah, like we we covered various topics in your book, but uh, we actually didn't get to explore. Uh, some uh, some key concepts, uh, chapters in your book that are quite important to overall analysis uh, mm. and argument of your book. Mm. Uh, one of them is intermediary exploitation. Mm. Uh, yeah. Can you explain what this is and how does it tie into the lived experience of Korean workers we discussed?
1: Intermediary exploitation, yes. In Japanese, uh, they would say chukan sakshu. And intermediary exploitation, I mean, the concrete example would be the Korean peasant who comes to the the city uh, in Tokyo, uh, gets a job in the day labor market, works for a construction company, and the construction company has hired uh, subcontractors, let's say two of them, and each subcontractor has their own crews of workers. So then the workers get paid by the subcontractor and then the foreman and different tiers within this vertical structure. And the worker gets paid a wage every day, but uh, 15 to 20%, let's say, of the wage gets pinched off the top and goes into the pockets of the subcontractor. So, um, and in other words, what this form of exploitation is, is uh, first of all, just in a kind of sociological, I suppose, sense, uh, it you know, it's taking place in the construction field, not in a factory where there's a lot of informal contractual relations that are not really formal contracts. Uh, in the day labor market, it's more of a verbal promise like, hey, hey man, you want to work today for two yen uh, an hour? And they say, yeah. And then the worker will actually get paid one point, you know, 65 yen, 35 sen have been pinched. And he says, hey, where's my 35 sen? And he's like, well, you know, we uh, supplied you with the tools. We supplied you with the introduction to the uh, the construction boss. And so that's our, uh, our commission, as it were. So this structure is uh, what they called intermediary exploitation because the workers actually exploited not directly by the the dominant capitalist uh, subject in this, but an intermediary kind of quasi-institutional person, say, who brings you to a job and then takes some money from it. So that's what they called intermediary exploitation. It was very dominant, not only in the construction industry, but in the forestry industry, uh, as well as in the mining industry. Any job, basically, where the worker had to borrow tools of the, you know, or in other words, if you don't have your own tools, you got to rent the tools. If you don't have your own house, you may have to pay uh, for housing fees. And so basically, in the case of Japan, it was a kind of place. It was also a place, we could say, this intermediary exploitation. For example, dormitory systems, which are owned by a construction company, worker sleeps there and eats there and has to basically pay a, uh, fees for those things which come out of the the wage so basically we get into this whole question of you know real wages formal wages the determination of wages problem is sometimes in for the korean workers they didn't get paid at all um where the subcontractor often couldn't uh, meet their own ends, and therefore they would have to sacrifice, you know, wages for a whole crew of workers. And the Korean workers, colonized Korean workers were the guys who said, hey, how come we're the only ones who aren't getting paid? You know, everyone's, and so then we get into these questions of exploitation, but it's not exploitation in, I would say, the kind of archetypical 19th century sense of industrial capital in in the large-scale industry factory system, which, for example, Marx would analyze in terms of you know, the uh, production of absolute surplus value or relative surplus value, It's not the model is not necessarily the factory system in this case of intermediary exploitation, because between the workers and the capitalists, there's an intermediary strata that has power and who gets paid who's part of the economic chain of command uh, that dominates this wage labor. So the Koreans, the colonized Koreans in Japan were not the only ones who uh, struggled against practices of intermediary exploitation, but we could say that for Korean workers, intermediary exploitation was definitely the dominant or normative mode of wage labor outside of um, some of the factory systems where Korean workers were also employed during World War I and later in World War II. But especially during the economic depression of after World War One, as you said, the depression, I wrote it as recession, but I've been told to correct it and say depression. In the depression, we see intermediary exploitation really becoming very pronounced and prevalent in the Japanese labor market. Um, and what the Korean workers wanted to say to the Japanese workers was, they said, you know, you guys, we're, we're also exploited, um, but it's a kind of particular way of being exploited. Uh, it's an intermediary exploitation, but we still, we Koreans, still want to be considered the proletariat. So when you, Japanese, you know, communists and stuff talk about the proletariat, uh, think about our situation too, and not don't just think of the proletariat as the uh, factory worker, because we would love to be factory workers, but the Japanese factory system will not employ us. Therefore, we have to endure our uh, life in the day labor market and in construction, where we suffer from chukansakushu, or intermediary exploitation, and as a result, our struggle as a universal proletariat is diminished because we feel fragmented and separated from you and you from us, and we cannot help each other, and that's a bad situation. So Chu Kan Sak Shu is a way to, for me, rethink the concept of the proletariat from the position of having to sell labor power as a commodity. So we tend to think of the proletariat in the 19th century sense, for example, as the you know industrial factory worker that Marx analyzed in capital or that he you know used as illustrations in in capital but here in Japan uh, now in the 20th early 20th century after world war 1 one thing i tried to really highlight in my book was when we think of the development of capitalism in the 20th century basically in in the stage of imperialism as far as i understand it after the 1870s We see a kind of growth in this kind of uh, relative surplus population, the Industrial Reserve Army, the industries of construction, you know, which are also deeply related to the military, all outside the factory system. Of course, the factory system is developing alongside this, but especially after the Depression, we see these kinds of intermediary forms of exploitation growing. Mostly to try to control this huge um, mass of of the population who is not directly employed, who may be semi-employed or totally unemployed. And that's really, uh, I think, one thing I wanted to really study in that book was this question of so-called unemployment.